All right. Welcome, everybody. If you are here for the zombie method, reviving dead leads, stalled deals, and ghosted prospects, congratulations. You are in the right place. If you were coming to the underwater basket weaving and juggling class, I'm afraid that one has been moved. It is now down the hall and to the left. So um, just keep that in mind. This one's all about deal uh, and prospect reactivation. So welcome everybody to the zombie method. Uh, this is reviving dead leads, stalled deals and ghosted prospects. Uh, I am Gary Ruplinger. And I am joined today by Scott Moss, the founder and CEO of M Sales Growth Advisors. Scott, welcome. It's good to be here, Gary. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, I I, I know we were talking about this last month and trying to think of some ideas here. And I, I think it was one of those things where we said, you know, I've got, because I thought personally for me, I was like, what would I want to know? And I said, what do I do with the people in my pipeline? What are some ways to kind of reactivate them? I think we all run into that issue of, you know, you got to people who were good prospects. Things seemed like they were going to move forward. Things were moving along nicely. And for one reason or another, they didn't. And yeah. well, that starts to add up. And, and now what do I do with them? Is there any, you yeah. know, so I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to kind of picking your brain about some of those topics today. Uh, for anybody who isn't familiar with you, Scott, can you just give us a quick 30 to 60 second introduction? Yeah, we're going to go on the shorter side of that. So 30 seconds. Um, I have been in sales, sales operations, sales leadership for um, 20 to 30 years now, which makes me fairly old. Um, my, my company here works primarily with small and medium sized businesses to bring them uh, defined, predictable sales operations process, uh, optimized CRM, uh, sales playbooks, so that they can more effectively and efficiently grow revenues. So the end game is for me to implement a program of sorts so that they can see a spike in year-over-year uh, -year revenue growth. Well, awesome. I think then we should probably just kind of dig in and start kind of talking about that real quick for everybody who's on. Um, we have the comments and everything turned on, so uh, we will be kind of doing Q&A throughout. So um, we got a kind of a few topics prepared here, but um, if you have questions, feel free to put them in the chat. And as I can fit them in, I will certainly uh, ask them where they're relevant. And then at the end, we will um, go through and answer any of the ones that we missed. So. Uh, please, uh, please do feel free to ask questions. Um, I think it always kind of helps us kind of see where everybody's at and it helps you get an answer to your question. But uh, getting things started here, I guess, it's kind of, who who would you say this is kind of a good uh, kind of for who who is this relevant to for this type of? Yeah. Yeah. So most most sales teams run into the, the problem that we're addressing here today. So I, I like to think of it as like, you know, three or four qualification points like who this who and how and why this can help so um it's it's one if if your sales funnel contains dormant and aged ideal client profile leads so there's a couple of operative words there one is dormant and aged the other one is ideal client profile what we don't want is a sales funnel full of leads that don't match the type of client or customer we ultimately want to do business with, we ultimately can do profitable business with, and 
we ultimately can actually have a positive impact on. So it's really important, first of all, that your funnel has ICPs in there. Um, but as is the case with most sales teams, there is that whole concept of dormancy and age lead. So that's that's one thing I think we're going to get out of this today. The other two, um, deals not progressing through your deals pipeline, which is different than the lead funnel. You know, deals pipeline is you already have confirmed that there is a legitimate opportunity for you to do business with the prospect. You've confirmed BANT, budget, authority, need, um, and time, right? So how do we best progress a deal through the pipeline so it doesn't get stuck and stagnant? The other one is struggling to keep your ideal client prospects engaged throughout the nurturing or what I like to call working phase of converting them into a potential deal. So these challenges combined typically will have a negative impact on client acquisition rates um, month over month, quarter over quarter, year over year. So if there's a struggle with this kind of stuff, then our topic is perfect for you today. All right. Well, you want to you just kind of jump right in with, with dead leads? Want to start there? And... Yeah. Yeah, dead leads are, are a problem. But but again, the the point first is to make sure that your sales funnel has leads that align with your ideal client profile. So you will have to go through the exercise of scrubbing your funnel, right? So that's a very healthy thing. It's good for data hygiene. Get rid of the leads that don't match your ICP. Then once you have your ICP leads identified in your funnel, then it's time to decide how far back do you want to go in terms of dormancy? Do you want to go back three months, six months, a year, and, and understand that those leads that haven't been touched um, and that do match your ICP are probably worth some form of outreach, right? So the way we want to do that is um, pull content from your content library, assuming you have one, right? And when I say content library, I'm talking about content that aligns with the buyer's journey, right? Um, awareness, consideration, and decision. And sales teams need to have that sales enablement content so that they can serve it up to their buyer personas at the appropriate stage of where they are in ultimately making a decision to use your product and service. So you've got your ICPs, you've got your buyer personas identified, and you pull content that will be relevant, that will resonate with your buyer personas. From there, it's, it gets a little simpler, at least I think it does. It's about creating a series of multi-touch, multi-channel sequences within your CRM that you can enroll those ICP dormant leads into. And the way, the way I like to, the reason rather I like to do that is it takes the onus off of the sales team to remember that they have to consistently touch those dormant leads. So the sequence, I said multi-touch and multi-channel, that could last for a month or two months. And you might be shooting an email out with an interesting article every seven or eight days. And maybe um, you are uh, connecting with them on LinkedIn or sending them a LinkedIn message and even picking up the phone, right? So it's what? important to recognize. Is, yeah. uh, wait, 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 wait. What is this? What is this phone thing? The phone, I've got one right here. 
and and these things actually worked. They you've got number pads on here, and you dial, and and people pick up sometimes. If they don't pick up, of course, you leave, you leave a message. You always leave a message. You always want that touch point. You leave a message, and right after that, you send what I call a uh, voicemail email that adds further clarification as to why you called. So here's here's how this thing, the whole thing looks. In your CRM, you've got an eight-touch sequence. It's combined of four emails, two phone calls, uh, and two LinkedIn messages, right? And it's all automated in your CRM. It reminds you when you have to do what, or it can send the emails automatically. And you get to a point where you're seeing who's actually opening and engaging in your outreach, and you pick up the phone, and you ask them if it makes sense to start a conversation. You're not following up from the email. You're not following up from the LinkedIn message. You're asking them, does it make sense based on the fact that you've seen my emails, you've interacted with them, does it make sense for us to talk? And that is a great way to re-engage. Bring dead leads back to life. You know, that's, that, that's awesome because I've, I've gotten to the point where I don't get many calls anymore. Um, it's, I'll call you, Gary. It, <laughs> and I, I think some of it's, you know, there's, it just, there's, there's, there's not a lot anymore. And for the carriers have gotten good at blocking the spam ones. So mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways, that's probably more effective now because if it's an extra, you picking up the phone and calling them, probably getting through a lot more easily, especially if you happen to have their cell phone number. That's Um, right. That's right. And most people share that information on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a great source. And there's others. I mean, we've got Zoom Info and Apollo and a handful of other platforms that do that. But the fact of the matter is, you know, you can do 80% of your lead acquisition through LinkedIn. I know we're getting off topic, but you know, if you want to touch your dead leads, you know, look at LinkedIn. That's another way to touch them. That's another way to re-engage because it's a different platform. You know, sometimes emails work, sometimes they don't. Sometimes LinkedIn works, sometimes it doesn't. Same thing with phone calls. That's why you bundle them in a multi-touch, multi-channel sequence. Yeah, I know like when I used to work in uh, in, in the car, car business, you know, it was one of those things where, if there was a channel that they were responsive on, I would please tell my staff, please keep using that one. If they pick mm-hmm. up the phone and call you back, call them. If, if not, if it's you know always text message or something, it's one of those you, you've got all you've got all these tools at your disposal, and we would kind of talk about them as all the different channels right. you can use. Which ones are they responding on? If they if they go dark on one, okay, well now let's look at some of the others. But yes. you know you don't you don't have to use six sales channels if they only respond on one. That's right. <laughs> was one of the, I, I know that was one of the things that took a little. It was one of those because you everybody loves their you know to put their systems together and say it's mm-hmm. this channel, this channel, this channel, and we're going to do all this multi-touch. But sometimes it's one of those. Where are they responding? That's, that's right. <laughs> and and you need to recognize that too. And that's why it's important that when you're running these sequences, you have scoring set up within your CRM, and you're getting notifications on actual engagement. And you can then see what is the most effective method for communicating, right? And take advantage of that, leverage that. If if you're using SMS 
and you're getting more responses from that channel than you are from email, then you know shift shift some of the activity to SMS. Don't entirely give up on email, right? But you know focus where the uh, biggest bang for the buck is. Where are the results coming from? Focus there. We had a question come in from Seth since we're talking about it here. It says, is texting in lieu of calling a mobile number a viable tactic? Um, it's, it's a tactic. And yes, it's viable as well, Seth. Um, when someone lists their phone number, mobile or otherwise, on a public channel such as LinkedIn after they've accepted your connection request, of course, you can see it in their contact information. It's fair game. So if they put their mobile there, they're telling you it's okay to reach out to me using this method. And everybody knows that there are two methods to use on mobile. There's SMS and there's the actual phone call. So a well-written short text that is not sales pitchy is absolutely okay. And that should be true with everything you send. Avoid the sales pitch, especially on the first connection. And again, we're getting off topic because we're talking about reviving dead leads. Well, actually, no, this is good too. Even if you are trying to bring back a dead lead, the last thing you want to do on your first outreach to them is pitch or is tell them about this great new product that you have or a great new service that you have. No, you have to reestablish credibility. You have to reestablish the relationship. You can't just assume that they're going to remember who you are and what you do if there's been zero interaction for six or 12 or 18 months. You have to assume that it's a brand new relationship and you have to start from ground zero on credibility build, in my opinion. So with the deals then, you know, as when, when they get stalled, <laughs> how how do you kind of go about getting them going again? Because I've I, I know and I think everybody has run into this probably if not you know every you know every month if you're not dealing with some of that you're you're certainly dealing with it often enough that you say okay what what where do we have to do to kind of keep get them moving again? Yeah, so th there's a couple of things with um, unclogging a deals pipeline. The first is, you know, preventative medicine. Don't let it get clogged in the first place. <laughs> and, and what that means is don't put schlock in your deals pipeline, right? Only put legitimate deals in there. That will significantly enhance deal flow and deal progression, okay? So let's first talk about that. A deal doesn't go into the pipeline unless budget, authority, need, and timeline have been confirmed. It's called BANT. Most salespeople have heard of it. There's a bunch of other different methods that you can use to validate and qualify a prospect as to whether there is legitimacy to a deal. When you confirm that, then you can put them in the deal pipeline. An initial conversation, not a deal. A second follow-up conversation, not a deal, right? You have to go through some level of discovery. You have to go through your qualification. You have to confirm BANT, right? You have to get buy-in on all this from your prospect. And then you put them in the pipeline, in the deals pipeline, okay? So now that we've got that part of it solved, the preventative medicine part, 
how do we make sure the deals continue to flow through? We make sure they continue to flow through by creating, like just like we do with leads in the sales funnel, we have to do the same thing for deals in the pipeline and create cadences to work those deals through the pipeline, right? Now they're different than your uh, lead cadences because you've those the purpose of those is to get them to an opportunity to a defined deal. The purpose in the deal pipeline is to keep them flowing through to ultimately get to yes, right? So the type of content and the type of communication we need to have with them is further upping our game, further upping our credibility, providing them with decision-making content, the buyer, right? The decision-maker with decision-making content. And we do that throughout the course of the deal pipeline so it doesn't get stagnant, right? We're not always trying to sell them. You know, we've already gotten them to a deal. So it's not about pitching every single communication. It's about consistently providing valuable content that further solidifies your company as the best solution to help them accomplish their goals and objectives or, or overcome a problem or a pain point. Um, and the way we need to look at a deal pipeline is not just one, uh, one I guess, continuous um, stage. There are multiple stages in the deals pipeline. And if you can recognize that and have really clear definitions for each stage, it's going to make it a hell of a lot easier to progress a deal from one stage to the next. For example, I like my first stage to be deal on deck. I've confirmed Bant and um, I like a 90-day to 120-day time period where that deal could possibly close, right? Whether it's won or lost, a decision will be made within 90 days, right? So that's deal on deck. And there's the concept of, well, how do you get a deal on deck into actual proposal, right? We have to go through scoping and, and you know further deep dive on discovery, but you have to have a stage for actually working on the proposal. And you don't start working on a proposal until you actually have a proposal review meeting scheduled. So that will ensure it doesn't get stuck in one stage because you've gotten a commitment from the buyer that he or she in, I don't know, two weeks or three weeks or four weeks will sit down with you and allow you to walk them through your proposed solution. Okay. So it's forcing almost a commitment at each stage of the funnel from your buyer. And you don't stop once you have a proposal review meeting. There's a stage after that. It's called proposal and review. And that's where your buyer is making a decision. Maybe they're building stakeholder consensus with the other decision makers and the other influencers, but it's a stage in the funnel. And during that stage is where most deals go to die. So it's important to have a specific nurturing or like I like to say working cadence for deals that are in the decision-making process so that you can consistently stay top of mind, remind them of why you were talking in the first place, suggest to them some valuable information that they should pay attention to and position your firm again as the best option for, for them to select, right? And when you get a yes, that's not a closed deal. That's just a verbal commitment. So you send them a contract or you send them an agreement, right? And there's no following up to an agreement. There's no calls to say, hey, just following up to see how things are going with the agreement. It doesn't make sense. 
for us to get signed up on this agreement now? What other things do we need to look at to get this agreement signed and taken care of? Once it's signed, then it's won. And I was just talking to a prospect the other day and his challenge is having, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, his challenge is having unqualified deals in his pipeline because it messes up all of his forecasting. And his sales team hasn't been very diligent at categorizing the deals according to the stage. Because with each stage comes a percentage of likelihood to close. And you can use that to, um, to weight the actual proposal amount for better forecasting. And you don't count a deal in your forecast unless you know it's best case, um, which is you are um, you have a proposal in review or it's commit which is you have an agreement in review. So that's my take on keeping a deal pipeline flowing smoothly. And, and it's not the easiest thing to do in the world, but it's not rocket science either. It's really not. I, I liked what you mentioned there about the what to do with the proposals, because I know some people will say, yeah, send me a proposal as a way of getting off a call with people. Yeah. Um, and I like the idea that, Sure, you you can send her because but on the on the flip side, some people aren't going to buy. I mean, there's a lot of businesses that are not buying if they don't get the proposal. So saying, "Oh, I don't do proposals," is not really a valid option either. So right. kind of having that, you know, meeting scheduled. Sure, you know, we'll send that. You know, and then scheduling. You know, when that proposal yeah. review is going to be as part of that process before you send it. So you're not <laughs> spending the time to work up the proposal. Yeah. Um, as, and that's as, where it comes as, from. It's it's about time. It's about the time suck that often happens when a salesperson says, "Yeah, I'll write up a proposal and I'll send it to you." No, don't do that. <laughs> don't just flip a proposal over the wall because you have no control over it. If someone is that interested in you, and this is a good litmus test, it's part of the qualification process. If they're interested enough to schedule a proposal review meeting with you and devote 45 minutes to an hour to walk through that proposal, then they're legitimate. If they don't have the time, I'm too busy. I've got a bunch of proposals to review. Um, I got to take my dog to the vet. I don't know when I'm going to be back. No, 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 no. They do not get a proposal. You have to schedule a proposal review meeting. After that meeting, then you send the proposal. I like it. Cool. So inevitably, there are going to be people, though. You're going to mm -hmm. do all the things right. And they're still going to ghost you. They're not and they're still going to ghost you. Right. They're, they're going to still disappear. Uh, right. They're, yeah. They're, their mom's brother's dog, you know, passed away. And it just totally threw them out of the loop. I, mm -hmm. you know, there's certain times of the year where I fear for people's, you know, aging parents and things like that. Cause mm -hmm. um, especially when it's getting close to signing deals, people are going to die. Mm -hmm. it's very dangerous. Right. So <laughs> what do we do about uh, people who kind of ghosted you? How yeah. do we kind of re-engage with them, bring them back in, right. whatever things change. Right. Um, and, you know, in a lot of cases, it, it could have still been a it probably was a good prospect at some point. So mm -hmm. what is yeah. what are some of the strategies you use to kind of deal with those people that have ghosted you? 
Yeah, so I think it has to start with getting a commitment from the prospect that they're going to follow up with you in a timely manner, right? So it it's skin in the game, right? You as a salesperson, you're willing to put the time into it and the effort into it, right? I will walk you through this. I will do the deep dive discovery. I will work on a solution. I will present it to you. You, Mr. or Mrs. Prospect, you need to commit that you're going to respond to me in a timely manner. If you can't do that, that's fine. It's probably not as important to you as you think it is, this the solution, right? But you have to get buy-in. You have to get that, that contract from them that says, yes, I will respond to you. That's about setting expectations. And that has to happen throughout the entire sales process, right? So that's a preventative way to ensure that your prospects don't ghost you. And again, if they're legitimate prospects, they won't. But it's, it's incumbent on the salesperson. You know, it's our responsibility to consistently qualify. You can't you, just have, yeah. How do you say that? How do you kind of get that commitment from them? Yeah. Well, sometimes it's, it's a matter of, you know, being confident in, in who you are and your solution. And, and you can't seem needy, right? It's not like, oh, I need all of these deals to come through or my business is going to shake. Is gonna is gonna fall through, and so you get back to me whenever you can, and and that's fine. And and I'm I'm afraid, you know. It reminds me of uh, that movie Swingers, you know. And they were talking about Mike and the girlfriend being the little bunny, and she's just there waiting. And you can't be the little bunny, right? You've got to be the grizzly bear, and that means you have to have the authority and the command of the entire process. Okay, so you set the expectation up front. It's look, we're going to spend time on this. It's going to be something that we're both going to work on with, with the uh, prospect. And I will put all this work in, but I need to know if, if this is important enough for you that you're going to respond to me. And you can say just like that, just have the conversation. You know, you're, you're both people. You both are time starved, you know, probably resource poor a lot of times, right? Just ask them. I'm absolutely going to do this. Can I expect you to respond to me in a timely manner? Is it three days? Is it three weeks? Whatever it is, get that commitment and schedule the next call before you hang up or finish a meeting. Always get the next step. It's the call to action, right? Whether you're doing it via email, whether you're doing it via one-on-one -on -one, in a boardroom, there has to be an agreed upon next step and a date for that next step. If they don't make that date, right? Not everyone, not everyone comes to the appointments that they schedule, right? Then it's a follow-up that you're sorry that we missed each other. But I know this is important to you. Let's reschedule Tuesday at three o'clock. If that doesn't work for you, how about Wednesday at four? Offer them those times. Be specific and get them to commit to that, right? And throughout this process, Gary, you still have to provide them with engaging content and information and value. If they think for one second that you're just like everybody else that they're talking to, it's going to make it a hell of a lot easier for them to blow you off. So you always have to give them reason to stay engaged, right? If they have become disengaged, right, then it's a matter of, getting back on the phone 
you know, don't send an email, get on the phone and call them and ask them, does it, does it make sense for us to continue our conversation? In your mind, Mr. Mr. and Mrs. Prospect, what are good next steps for us? And if they say, I don't know, the, the response is, well, what do you think is a good next step for me so that I don't continue to knock down your door? Right, put the onus back on them. That's that's how I like to coach my teams. I do that for my own business. That's the I, I drink my own Kool-Aid. It's the exact approach I take here. Um, and what's important also is look at what has worked to keep prospects engaged, right? Hopefully, you know, you're using a CRM. Hopefully that CRM has the ability to track opens and clicks and engagements and activities. And we talked about this earlier. If there's a channel that your prospect likes to respond in, if there is a message type that your prospect typically responds to, leverage that, right? Go to that channel, go with that type of content, but that's going to come from being able to see it all in reports and, and dashboards within your CRM. So there is a, a certain degree of uh, data analysis on engagement rates, right? So use what's worked. I know I, this is kind of a little pipe, a little bit more CRM focused and less uh, reviving focused, but I know anytime when we talk and we talk probably about twice, twice a month, going through leads, anytime I mention a name to you, you, you I love how organized your system is because you can tell me exactly where they are in, in which stage they are, if they even made it into the deal on deck and a lot of them don't. Because uh, right. go through the trouble of actually qualifying them, you know, just assume that right. everybody that you know you're going to have an, a meeting with, oh, deal on deck. It's some are real partners, some didn't make any sense at all. Uh, uh, so right. I, I know yours is always. I'm always impressed at how organized your your system is, and you know exactly where everybody is because it's you. You've taken the time to build that system. You've put the work into building the CRM, right. and and having it serve you. Whereas I, I think in a lot of cases, right, it's the, the training that goes into it is either nobody wants to put the work into to train it or they don't mm -hmm. kind of keep their their teams kind of cold and accountable to it. So you don't yeah. know where, where people are. That's you just said the magic word, accountable to KPIs. You know, and and you have to have your CRM set up so that you have visibility into those key performance indicators that will um, show you whether you are tracking towards goal or not. And you go back and you look at those activities and you look and see where a prospect is and what is the next activity for that prospect. And if there isn't one, why isn't there one, right? But you have to set your CRM, optimize it to be able to accommodate that. And that's not just with, you know, different views you have, like you're talking about when we, have our conversation. I can go into pipelineology and I can see everything that's come through and I can see what funnel stage they're in. And if they're in the deals pipeline, I can see what deal stage they're in. I can see what the next step is. I can see close date. I can see expectations. It's, it's a matter of requiring that kind of information to be present from your sales team. And that allows sales leaders whether you're a CEO or a director of sales to um, better manage their business. I don't know how people do it without it. 
I just don't know how. Like spreadsheets, it, it boggles it boggles my mind. And even when clients do have CRMs, you know, they're using half of what's available. So it's a big deal. It's worth the upfront time to set up your CRM to accommodate your sales operations process. You have to have them both. So could you kind of talk a little bit about kind of the, the workflows and automations and things? Because I know as we've kind of been talking here, yeah. I I'm here there's manual steps that you can take and then kind of sounds like there's a more like that nurturing automation type of sequence that kind of almost seems to run throughout the throughout the process that kind of keeps those touch points happening yeah. without so, the salesperson needing to manually remember or do it. Right, right. So us salespeople, um, we're always too busy. I, including myself in that group, we're too busy. We're being pulled in a hundred different directions. It takes too much time. So you can use your CRM to create workflows and automation for higher levels of efficiency, right? So, you know, based on certain activity that a uh, lead or a prospect takes, that can trigger another activity. And setting up a workflow to accommodate for that in the CRM will take the onus off of the sales rep to remember to do that, right? We can set up automation, not just to carry out the task, right? In a lot of cases, it's, you know, send an automated email, or it's uh, send this SMS text or send a LinkedIn message, but we can also create it so that it triggers a manual task for the salesperson to pick up the phone, right? Or to take some other action, whether it's filling in an additional field or updating an additional field within a contact record so that it's accurate, or it could be uh, as simple as a to-do that, um, shares with you a certain lead score, right? So most CRMs do lead scoring and you can set up an automated workflow that notifies the salesperson that their contact is scoring based on their interactions with email, for example, right? So, you know, you can set it so there's a threshold and we'll say the threshold is 10. I don't know, maybe they get two points for opens and they get three points for clicks. And they've done enough of those where they hit 10 points that can trigger an automatic notification in your CRM to the rep that says, hey, uh, Gary is interacting with your content. You should probably reach out to him, right, with a phone call. Or we can even set that up so that it automatically sends an email to Gary that is, you know, well-written. Thanks for reviewing all this information, Gary. We'd love to get you on a call to discuss some of the things you've been clicking on. Um, here's my calendar link or how does next Wednesday at three o'clock work, right? So using your workflows, using the automation that the CRM has uh, in its engine will do a couple of things, create efficiencies for your sales team, right? But also bring additional visibility to activity success metrics. And with that visibility, you can then make more educated and informed decisions on outreach uh, methodologies. That answer the question it sounded like I was getting off track there or long winded. No, you're you're good. I, I think you know I'm as I'm kind of looking at you know what just like a I'm losing my train of thought here. So let me just take a step back here. One of the things that um, I know I've experienced in my career is that 
you've got this automation part running and then you've got the manual process running and sometimes mm -hmm. it will step on each other's toes. Okay. Um, the automation asks, somebody gets too clever with the automation part and it asks questions that have already been handled at some point with the personal follow-up. And then the automation looks like it's personal follow. They want it to look like it's all personal follow-up. Right. I think it really muddies the whole experience in it. What happens is you start to look stupid. And I'll, I'll give you a, yes. give you an example here. We recently bought a my uh, bought a car. So mm -hmm. we went to the to dealership we were planning to buy in the say long story short, we didn't end up buying from them, but they kept following up because they put us in their automation system. And mm -hmm. every single contact was totally irrelevant or something we'd already covered or told them about, but nobody fixed it. And nobody, right. nobody even took us out of the automation. I replied right. every single time. I was like, you guys kind of look foolish here because we've already talked about this. You said you told us this. Oh, we'll mm -hmm. probably. So how, how do you kind of handle the automation so that they help the deal move forward instead yeah, of hurting? Instead of hurting. Make exactly. you look foolish. <laughs> so first I'll tell you that automobile dealerships are the worst offenders of that. I... I used to my wife used to drive a buick enclave like eight years ago seven years ago we're still getting messages from buick on email about turning in that enclave and trading it in on a new car we haven't had it in six seven years the reason that happens is data entry they're not they're not updating their systems in crm and because of that their automation is not recognizing that a lead might be disqualified for that specific communication piece. So it really comes down to the discipline of the sales team to consistently update all of the appropriate fields in the contact record so that kind of stuff doesn't happen because you do look foolish, you look like an absolute idiot. That, that's one. The other is you can set up automation tasks. So if something has been in a stage for too long, you can set up a task that goes to the rep that says, have you updated this contact record? We're about to send a mass email and you need to make sure it doesn't get stuck in that mass email um, send. The other is to make sure that when you do enroll someone in a sequence, there are automatic um, unenrollment conditions. A reply to a sequence should automatically unenroll a contact from a sequence, right? A meeting scheduled from a sequence should automatically unenroll somebody from the sequence. A certain field update in a contact record can be tied to that automation, right? So all of those things are really, really important because yes, you can trip over yourself and you can make yourself look foolish. So managing the manual with the automation really comes down to making sure that your automation is truly, um, pulling accurate information from the fields in the contact record that trigger the automation. But it's really up to the salesperson to keep that stuff updated. And most salespeople will tell you, I don't have the time to do it. And, you know, I know there's probably a lot of salespeople on the phone right now, but I call bullshit on that. Everybody has time to update fields. Everybody. There's no reason not to update a field in a contact record. Never. There's no reason not to document a call not to document what the conversation was about, not to document what the next step is, right? 
And all of that will go to making sure that you don't make a fool of yourself. Yes, if, if they don't have time, I guess they're, they're probably overworked. You got to hire more salespeople and salespeople. Always Either usually that, <laughs> that or, they need to go to time, or they need to go to time management classes. They're not managing their day, right? So that, that's one thing. And don't get me started on time management and, and time blocking. <laughs> and an hour talking about the best ways to accommodate a busy schedule by blocking time so that you can, you know, hit all of the, uh, the uh, key activities you need to produce during any given day. But that's a whole nother podcast, Gary. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll save that one till next time. Um, we got a there question go. here from, uh, from, from Maddie. He says, which CRM do you recommend? Yeah. So anyone who knows me knows that I recommend HubSpot uh, 99.9 out of a hundred times. And uh, reason being the why behind that, it is just really easy to set up. It's really easy to navigate. The automation tools are so straightforward and so accommodating to a sales team, the dashboard features, the, um, the outreach features. It's just so easy. There's no programming involved. Um, and you have the ability to configure it almost any way you want to. And I have clients on uh, Microsoft Dynamics. I have clients on Zoho. Um, I think I might have one even on Salesforce, um, but the majority are on HubSpot. And, and I've been using HubSpot for, I think, eight or nine years now. And I use it for my own business, and I've been recommending it since I started this company uh, three and a half years ago. It's just that easy to use. Gotcha. I know there's a lot of good options out there. I will say anecdotally, speaking, my, my most successful clients tend to be on HubSpot. That was, I'll just say that purely anecdotally, I have no, I have no skin yeah. in the game on that. So, but it doesn't matter to me what anybody uses. I'll just say that that's what I've, I've noticed on this interesting okay. question here from, uh, from Crispin. Does AI come into play yet? Um, yeah. Yeah, AI comes into play. And AI comes into play on your email outreach. It could come into play on phone scripting. Um, but don't read it verbatim. Don't use it verbatim, right? So the AI that I've seen tends to be very formal and tends to be a little bit sterile and, and lacks personality. And it's easy to see when something is AI-driven. Uh, so use that as your starting point take a couple of ideas from AI and then make those ideas your own, put them in your own voice. Um, AI tends to be a little bit wordy, but I think it's an amazing tool. I will tell you this, it is an amazing tool. And I'm a believer that AI has a place in sales outreach. I just don't advise my teams to rely solely on AI, right? Um, that's what I got, but it does come into play, Crispin. Excellent. Yeah, I know. I, I before we hopped on here, I was happened to be browsing through LinkedIn, and uh, it was a tool that now can clone your voice, mm -hmm. make outbound calls, run through its run through its script, and ask those questions, and essentially do the appointment setting portion of cold calling in your voice, responding to them for you. Um, yeah. It that it. 
I didn't have a chance to really dig into it. I only watched like a, a one minute clip of it, but holy cow, right. it was, wasn't quite perfect. The pause was a little too long to be comfortable, but boy, mm-hmm. was it close. Uh, so there's some very interesting yeah. AI stuff. Yeah, there's there. some good stuff out there. Look, I'm not going to deny it has a place. <laughs> I'm just suggesting that, you know, until it's like perfect, don't rely on it solely. Use it as a tool. Don't use it as the, the end result. Gotcha. So what what else should we kind of be what what else should I be asking you here, Scott? Um, and I guess um from the audience, same thing. What what are what other questions do you have? What other questions do you have for Scott? Yeah. We got we got we got about 15 minutes yet. So feel free to 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 really really ask him some good questions here. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm wide open, guys. So feel free to ask, but what you haven't asked me yet, um, I don't know, Gary. So we talked about, you know, we've talked about dead leads. We've talked about stalled deals, ghosted prospects. We've talked about using automation to help. We've talked about a clean pipeline with defined stages. We've talked about a leads funnel that only has your ICP and 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 creating. Uh, you know, sequences to re-engage dormant or aged ICPs in the funnel. So there's a lot here. Oh, I do have, uh, we forgot to mention this at the beginning. I've created a guidebook for all of this that we'll be um, sending out with the link to the the video. I'm not sure if you're going to say that at the end, but just in case anyone's wondering, there will be, there are handouts. (laughs) Yes, we 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 had a, we had a whole presentation. We just thought it would would be easier to to discuss it and be more engaged yep. in this way. But we do have a handout that we will send out to everybody who signed up. Um, there's over 1,500 of you, so please give my team a few days to get through all of you guys. Uh, love all the, love all of you signed up. Uh, it just takes us a few days to do it. But actually, here's a good one from Rick. Um, does the nine word email come into play, Scott? Uh, he did yeah. below that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He so, called me shot. And and I love the peace <laughs> sign that Rick put up there. And and um so Rick, yeah, the, the nine word email does come into play. The the shorter, the sweeter. What are good next steps for us? When does it make sense for us to re-engage? The nine word email comes into play. Are you still interested? Right? Those words are very powerful and they have specific calls to action right let me know what we should do next okay again are we still interested in this are we not still interested in this use it it works especially in the deals pipeline and just just to just to reiterate that the the nine word email is is it, I believe it's what, first name, are you still interested in, insert name yeah. of whatever it was, mm-hmm. and your name, first name yep. only. Yep. No other, nothing else. <laughs> nothing else, nothing else. In fact, the subject line should be name, comma, still interested, question mark. And then your, your content is name or high name. Curious, are you still interested or just are you still interested? That's a, that's Easy a to respond one. to that, <laughs> right? 
good. Thank you for bringing that one up, Rick. That's a that's a yeah. definitely a good a good valuable one. This one comes from Deb. Do old school tools like thank you cards and gifts still have a role in the process? Yes, absolutely. So uh, I, I love thank you cards. I love handwritten thank you cards, um, but they should be short and sweet. They shouldn't be paragraphs long. They should be on nice, clean letterhead, or they should be on you know those little thank you cards that maybe are five by eight that you fold in half. And it's, Scott, great meeting you. Appreciate your time. Looking forward to next steps. Best, Deb. That's your thank you card. Gifts are tough. Because gifts, if you're sending, um, if you're sending before a deal has been consummated, right? Before they're a client, because gifts kind of look like again you're needy, like you're trying to uh, buy them with your gift. Um, so gifts, be careful of. Now it's okay to offer like a coffee. Like one one of the emails I really like to use is. Let's grab a virtual cup of coffee and, you know, you can share some challenges and I'll give you a quick overview of what we do. Let me know. And, you know, it's a $5 gift card. That's okay. And I've gotten meetings from those. And I'll, I'll tell you right now, no one ever asks for the gift card. They're like, no, that's good. I'm good. You got my attention. You know, I asked for a virtual coffee and people are going to say everybody and their brother does that. Well, because it works. <laughs> right. That's one reason why everybody and their brother does it. But the other is that it's a nice way that's not overly flaunting big gifts to say you're important to me and I'm happy to give you, you know, this cup of coffee for taking the time. It's just a nice gesture. But again, the wording of the email is important, too. Where would you fit these in? The, the, are they deal on decks? Are they already at this point? Um, yeah. So thank you cards are great after a proposal, right? Um, thank you cards are also great if you've had a uh, like a face-to-face -face discovery meeting, right? So if you've had an intro discovery meeting or a uh, I mean a face-to-face -face intro meeting or a face-to-face -face discovery meeting, thank you cards are great follow-ups from there. If it's, if it's a virtual meeting, a Zoom or a Teams, now you don't need to do thank you cards. But thank you emails are a must. Always, always, always send, send a thank you email. But don't sell, please. Do not sell in your thank you email or in your thank you cards. Just thank them for their time. Let them know you found the conversation productive and that you hope that they found it productive as well and that you're looking forward to talking again in six days or on. September 28th, right? Just keep it short and sweet. You don't need to keep selling over and over and over again. Email should be short and sweet, not paragraphs long. Don't include 50 attachments in an email. Don't even include four attachments. One, maybe two tops. That's how it should be done. Um, oh, but the, the gift, Gary, like uh, an onboarding gift is good. So after they've signed the agreement, it's absolutely okay to send an onboarding gift, but not just to the person. It has to be to the company. So like a basket with a bunch of food or candies, stuff like that. Those are great gestures. And, and it, it starts the relationship off, off right 
with other team members that might not have been involved in the deal process. I like that. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I see a comment here from a few people now. Uh, real quick, I'll address this one. Uh, she's, this is Eileen and uh, Barbara. I see yours. Uh, same thing here. So you didn't sign up for today's talk, but would like the summary. Um, if you didn't sign up for this, but you would like these, just drop drop a comment down in the in the chat, and I'll have one of my team members go through the chat and make sure we get it sent out to everybody. So we'll make sure we hook you up if you just let us know that you'd like to to see them. If you did sign up for this, you're already set. We're gonna we're gonna send it out to you. But uh, if you you just happened to, to hop on and got the notification that we were live, just uh, drop a comment. And we'll make sure we get you the handouts uh, from today's um, event here. Oh, let's see here. Got, got a little bit more time yet, Scott? We do have a few more questions. I do. I'm fine for a few more minutes, Gary. Whatever you want to do is good, man. All right. This one here from Miss Kim is, uh, could you highlight some of the AI tools you found most effective in sales? Yeah, so I haven't, and, and Gary, chime in, I haven't rated any of the AI tools. I haven't taken the time to do that. Um, I'll just go anecdotally, you know, chatbot is is always talked about. I mean, chat, what's it called? Chat GPT, sorry. Chat GPT is, is huge. Um, HubSpot has a new um, AI solution built in. Uh, and there's plenty of, of platforms that are out there. Uh, you could probably go to like Gartner into their quadrant and and see see how they rate them and and other rating agencies like that. But um, outside of that, that's all I can really share. Yeah, I would say. I mean, it's one of those things. Over over a thousand of these have popped up, and it's probably hundreds a week that typically kind of spin up. The vast majority, just about everything, is is kind of based on Chat GPT's model. So they're all running off that same API. Um, mm-hmm. So if you can. You know, test play around with Chat GPT. If it can do what you're asking for, great. There's there's probably a solution out there. Um, if if not, then it's probably not quite ready. But I, I a lot of times that's what I end up doing is I just go straight to the source and we will kind of script it out and and run through it. In fact, we use that for to help kind of anytime somebody's got writer's block and doesn't know what to say in a follow-up, that's oftentimes what I'll send my team to do is. Just go go ask it for an idea. That's a good use of chat GPT, Gary. Um, question here from Julie. Any tips for someone who is not a salesperson by trade attempting to leverage relationship upselling as a start? Relationship upselling. So if I'm understanding this, you have a relationship um, with a client and you're trying to upsell them on different products or services that you offer. So we'll go with that assumption, Gary, unless I'm unless you read it differently. I, I think that's a fair, fair interpretation. Okay. So, you know, the best the best way to do it with an existing client is to make sure that you have consistent uh, strategy sessions with that client. Those are the greatest opportunities to talk about the future for their business what they have planned next and how you can work with them, whether it's your products or services or somebody else's to help them grow. And that has to be the mindset. The mindset going in can't be, I'm going to upsell you on products C and D because you've already bought products A and B. That can't be the mindset. The mindset has to be exploration to learn about 
the next six months or 12 months for their business, you know, the things that they need to accomplish. And if there happens to be alignment with a solution that you offer that they haven't taken advantage of yet, then you should absolutely say, hey, I might be able to help with that. And if you can't help with that, it's also great to be able to refer them to someone who can because they will now view you as valuable as an information source. And that is very strategic for them. So that if you happen to make a mistake at one point in your relationship, you're not gonna get fired for that one mistake because they're gonna recognize the strategic value of working with you over the long term. I hope that answered your question, Julie. All right, let's see here. Here's one from Eileen. Now, some of these are probably getting a little bit more process oriented, but a lot of the questions are about sure. CRMs. We could, we could probably do a whole call on, on CRMs at some point, but um, yes, this one here from Eileen is when a proposal is agreed upon, how quickly should it be sent to the prospect? You never send a proposal. So assuming that you're saying a, a they have agreed to review a proposal from you, you never send it to the prospect ever. You schedule a proposal review meeting, a Zoom, a Teams, or a face-to-face. -face. You walk them through the proposal. You validate why you've, uh, you're proposing that specific solution and how it aligns with their needs. And when the meeting is done, you send the proposal. That's when you do it. But before that meeting is done, you, you uh, determine a next step whether it's a phone call in a day, in a week, whether it's a second meeting, agree upon the next step. Get that next yes before you end the meeting and send the uh, proposal. All right. Thanks for the question, Eileen. Yes, thanks, Eileen. Good question. Um, getting close to the end here. Mm -hmm. um, oh, here's one from... Barbara, I've read half of it. Oh, let's see. Make sure it's good. Okay. <laughs> what happens when you send what happens when you send the service agreement and it's just dead air? What was the main factor when the prospect was hot and then dies after the agreement is sent? How do we engage? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you've sent the agreement and um dead air. So, first of all, when they give you the verbal yes and you send the agreement, you ask them what is your time frame for getting this signed? So again, you have some sort of verbal contract of expectations for next step, right? You agree that um, it's okay to reach out to uh, discuss moving forward at a certain time period. Um, and you make sure that your agreements aren't overwhelming and scary, right? So if you're sending a 25 page agreement for a project that costs $2,000, that's probably a problem. You're going to scare away your prospect, right? So make sure that your agreements are, um, I, I guess, in alignment with the type of service that you're offering and the cost of that service, right? If you're doing a $100,000 deal, that's another story. If you're doing a $2,000 deal, be careful about that. How you re-engage is, is picking up the phone and, and asking that question, are you still interested? Or what is a good next step for us? You know, and look, deals do die after the agreement has been sent. Hopefully, 
it happens only um you know one out of a uh, hundred times but they do happen all right good question barbara uh, last one i see here is from deb hi scott how do you segregate sales stages if you can elaborate on that please yeah sure so sales stages so the sales funnel you know top to bottom at the very top is the prospect universe that is anybody that could possibly use your product or service anybody then the next stage down is your ideal client profile those are the companies that match your description or definition of your ideal client right from there it's really about engagement okay so if somebody engages with your outreach if they schedule an introductory phone call with you if they score a certain number of points uh, from opening and clicking on emails then they become what's called marketing qualified because they are responding to your outbound marketing efforts or maybe inbound maybe they filled out a form on your website maybe they've uh, requested to download uh, a white paper so you score them based on those scores they become marketing qualified now is when it gets turned over to the salesperson to sales qualify them right that's where you go through the process of bant that's where you go through mini discovery that's where you understand their challenges that's where you position your solution as a, uh, a way for them to overcome their challenges or achieve their goals. And, and after sales qualified, I like to move them into deal on deck into the pipeline, right? So you have three or four stages in the actual sales funnel. You get them down to being sales qualified, which is that interaction with the salesperson. And they can move either into the deal pipeline or not. But the key is for each one of the stages, you have working cadences that are designed with content that is relevant to your buyer. They are designed to push them through to the next stage. Well, excellent. That looks like all of the questions that we've got, so. Perfect timing, because we are just a bit over and I do want to make sure that I get to my next um, commitment on time. Perfect. Well, really appreciate you hopping on with us today, Scott. I think this was a great conversation. Uh, oh, Gary, it was awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. Love all the questions from the group and, and hope you found, hope you got a little bit of insight. Uh, Perfect. You know, well, if you need some, uh, want to dive into this deeper with Scott, feel free to get in touch with him. Um, and he does some great work. Like I said, uh, Having, having seen his organizational systems, if you've got a sales team that's could use a little bit of help and, you know, hoping, holding them accountable to their CRMs and all that, definitely look him up. He's a great guy for that. Um, we will get the replay sent out to everybody. If you've, uh, if you signed up or if you commented, uh, we'll make sure we get that all sent out. Give us a few days to get that taken care of. Otherwise with that, thanks everybody. Thank you, Scott. And thanks uh, everybody see you guys next time. <laughs> Take care. Thanks for listening to the Pipelineology podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and look forward to seeing you on the next one. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.